In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 247. An exclusive conversation with none other than Van Jensen. That's right, guys. We are talking with the Green Lantern Corps writer. Uh, came on after the Jeff Johns era. Took over with uh, Green Lantern Corps number 21. Went on through Green Lantern Corps number 40. Did the Godhead special, the Future's End Green Lantern Corps special. Did a Green Lantern Corps annual. Uh, did a bunch of stuff. Was even on Flash for a little while. So there's some some stuff that he's been working on with uh, DC for a while. But obviously we're focusing on the Green Lantern Corps. So Mark actually set this one up. Yeah, that's right. Well, Jim, to be fair, Jim kind of pointed me in the right direction on this one. I have to be honest, but uh, but I did, but I did, but I did, I did more of the legwork on this one. So hopefully, it'll, hopefully it'll work out well. <laughs> time, time will only tell. Yes, All it right, will. So, <laughs> so if if it's bad, blame blame Mark, not not Van. <laughs> yeah, blame me. I'll take the heat for it. Oh man, so. Uh... So we're going to go ahead and just get right into it. Van's got a quick time limit, so we want to make sure we get as much quality questions in as possible so we can get some uh, great behind-the-scenes stories and answers for you guys. So we are just going to hop right into it. Ready, Mark? I'm ready. Let's do it. Onward. All right, guys. Without further ado, we are speaking with Van Jensen, the writer of Green Lantern Corps from issues 21 through 40, uh, as well as an annual here and there, and a uh, Godhead special, a Future Zen special. Man, you just did it all. Uh, so welcome, <laughs> welcome to the show, Van Jensen. Hey, thanks for having me. All very, right, yeah. Very yeah, welcome. Yeah, exactly. We 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 really uh, thank you for coming on the show. So, well, first of all, we you know we have to ask everybody. How did you get into the career of comics? You know, everybody's got a different story for this, uh, whether it was somebody they know or going to school or whatever. So how did you personally break into the comics career? Yeah, it was kind of a weird thing for me where, um, you know, I do have a long history with comics. Uh, I grew up reading them. I mean, back to like four or five years old, uh, read a lot of comics. And I actually wanted to draw comics as a kid. Um, my mom's a painter. And so I was like always drawing my own comics, but at some point, I don't know, it just, it felt like that wasn't a real thing to do with my life. I, I never, I mean, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska, so I had no concept that, you know, it, it's a real thing and actual people make this stuff. It seemed like magic. So, um, <clears throat> I ended up going into journalism and it had even, I'd really stopped reading comics for the most part. And happened to meet this guy, Dusty Higgins, who was a illustrator at a newspaper where I worked. And it was just 
started talking about comics, kind of realized we both had been into them and kept talking, kept talking. And then one day he did a sketch of uh, sort of a bad Pinocchio character uh, lying in his nose shooting through a vampire. And <laughs> I didn't really think that much of it. But then it was quite a while later and I had even moved away. And Dusty called me up out of the blue and said, hey, what do you think about making a, a book out of uh, – you know, Pinocchio killing vampires. And <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it just seemed like, what the heck, let's take a shot at it. And so we made Pinocchio Vampire Slayer. And um, and I, I had no expectation, but it kind of took off. And I found that, you know, I really enjoyed working in comics, even though I was continuing to work full time. It was just, it was a lot of fun. And it seemed like something that maybe I, I could be good at. So I just kept working, kept working. And you know, all of a sudden it's what seven, eight years later, and it's a career. Very nice, P- P- Pinocchio. That would seem natural because he's got the stakes like built in. <laughs> yeah, it makes a little more sense than Abe Lincoln, right? Right, actually, it does. It make a lot more sense than Abe Lincoln. Shots fired. <laughs> come on, it does. <laughs> Pinocchio, I mean, come on, it's Pinocchio. He can get a stake at any time he needs to. <laughs> So, Van, how did you end up on Green Lantern Corps? Yeah, so, um, I, I mean, as you guys know, I'm good friends with Rob Vendetti, and, um, and we've been friends for years and years. And so he had gotten hired to write Green Lantern, taken over for Jeff Johns. And uh, Josh Fialkov was going to be writing a couple of the books, and uh, that did not end up working out well. Um so basically, I mean, it was really just like one day Rob called me and said, hey, I think I'm going to get you in the door writing Green Lantern Corps if you want it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'd never written a single issue comic before in my life. I'd never written a superhero comic. I hadn't read any of the Green Lantern comics for quite a while. I mean, I really like Rebirth and it stuck with it for a while. But I'd kind of been so busy career-wise, I hadn't really had a chance to keep up with superhero books. Um, but, you know, it was just like, all right, this is my shot. I'm going to take it. So I ended up getting a call right after that from uh, Matt Idelson, the group editor at the time. And it was it was basically, it was my gig. Um, so I was just, I was, you know, it was like one day I went from... Nothing to all of a sudden write in Green Lantern Corps. Uh, so it was pretty crazy. And, I mean, I had like two weeks maybe to write my first script. Um, so I was, And I was actually – I was leaving for a, a work trip. So I went to Criminal Records, which is my local comic shop, and just went to the, the back as you've been and grabbed like the biggest stack of Green Lantern Corps comics I, I could carry – bought all of them and I spent the whole plane ride reading everything, catching up as much as I could. And, uh, you know, it's just like, all right, trial by fire. Let's do it. That's pretty cool. Actually. That's a pretty good story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was an intense week. That's, that is for sure. And I mean, I think, I think there's, you know, there's something to be said for a good little bit of pressure. That's true. Some people do well under, under pressure. Some people fall, but you really don't know until you're under it, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. So when you took over the book, how and from like you mentioned after Fialkov, Joshua Hale Fialkov left that book, and I think and Red Lanterns, I believe, was the other book he was supposed to do. Right. So how was 
when you came on Green Lantern Corps, how how did the focus of that book change? How was it reshuffled or retooled from where it was supposed to go, as far as you remember? Um, I mean, I saw I saw some of what Josh had mapped out for the book, and I mean, he he from what I I didn't see too much of what he had planned out, so it it wasn't like there were the, as far as what I was exposed. I mean, he might have had a long-term plan. I just never saw it. So I don't want to speak as to what he did or didn't do only, you know, what I actually saw. Um, but I, I never saw some long-term plan to deviate from. Um, I mean, there were red lanterns and green lantern core. If I remember right, we're going to be interacting very uh, explicitly throughout their run. So that was something that, you know, we shifted to kind of more of a, casual relationship between the books. And I, I think with Green Lantern Corps, you know, they were struggling to figure out what the focus of the book was going to be. And from, I mean, literally from the second that I ever talked to anyone about doing the book, the entire point was it was going to be John Stewart's book. Um, and it was, you know, it was just, it was another, it was a weird thing. It was like, I was getting lambasted on the internet as like, I was the guy who was hired to kill off John Stewart and at the same exact time that people are writing that about me, like I'm busy doing all this research on John Stewart and literally mapping out like a two year long plan of what to do with his character. <laughs> so, you know, that just goes to show that you shouldn't always trust whatever you read on the internet. <laughs> that, that is, that is true. And since you mentioned the John Stewart thing, so based on, based on what you know, or what you feel comfortable talking about, do you, did, from your understanding, does, did DC really have a plan to do a death of John Stewart storyline? Was that something they were pushing? Not necessarily you, but as far just based on not again anything you heard, not necessarily something you know for a fact. Because I, I did, I think I do remember you, like what you just said. That I do remember. I think you said somewhere else at one point about John Stewart becoming. You know, that was going to be the focus of the book as far as you were concerned. So I was always curious about that. So something didn't seem to really jibe with the idea of DC wanting to potentially do a death of John Stewart story, then bringing somebody else in and then making John Stewart the focus. So I'm Yeah. Just... And I, you know, I wasn't in the room for a lot of it. I mean, my perception of what it is that happened was, um, there, there was kind of a, a struggle, like I said, sort of a struggle to shape a vision for the book and what it was exactly going to be. And so I, I think that during, you know, during that conversation, there were a lot of ideas thrown out. And I think that, and I don't even know who it was who put this out there, but I do think that one of the ideas that was floated was potentially killing off John. But my understanding of it is that that was very quickly, you know, shot down by DC, you know, DC itself. Like it's, and it's, and I mean, that's the kind of stuff that happens. Like as a creative team, like you, the creators and the editors, you're always like, like no idea should be too crazy or too weird or too risky to throw out there. Like everything should be on the table, right? Um, because everything should, everything should count. Everything should be in jeopardy. Like nothing should be completely safe. But, um, you know, I, I think that DC recognized very quickly, um, that John Stewart is a character with a lot of capital, uh, and a, a character, I mean, one who's just a really good character, also, you know, he's a, a very strong character who is also a minority, um, who has a huge fan base because of the TV shows. And I don't know. I mean, he's just a badass character. 
So <clears throat> I, I think that that plan, you know, had shifted internally a long time before before I got brought on board. And, you know, from Rob and I talking about it, I mean, we both, in our conversations with each other, we said, all right, what this needs to be is this needs to be a great John Stewart story, in part to give the book some focus and also in part because, you know, his his fans are understandably upset about, you know, this supposed news and what they perceive as kind of a marginalization of him as a character. So instead, let's bring them the best John Stewart story they've ever seen. And I'm not saying that that's what we did, just that that was what we set out to do. Yeah, speaking of John Stewart's, you know, uh, well, for lack of a better term, mar- marketability as a character, I, I have a question I always like to ask creators, especially writers. Uh, and just to, as, as a kind of lead into it, you know, we're obviously Green Lantern fans. We wouldn't be doing this if we weren't. So <clears throat> I've noticed over the years that some people have no idea what to do with John Stewart. He's either the angry black architect that he was when he was created in the 70s, or he's the military man that you see from the, the animated series. Other than that, people like to define John by his tragedy. Uh, the death of Kat Matui, the destruction of Zanshi, you know, all this other stuff. So there, are some, there have been some times when people grab hold of that character and try to do something with him and it just doesn't quite work because they have no understanding of the character outside of that. So I like to ask people, especially yourself, since you had so long, uh, s- such a long time with the character, how do you define Jon Stewart? Who is Jon Stewart to you? Yeah, well, so I mean, I guess the way that I would I would say it is one. This is something I focus on as a writer. I mean, people are not like human beings. Real human beings are not one dimensional, right? Um, so, like, right. you know, I look at myself just because that's the easiest example at hand. You know, I I work in comic books, but. I probably am more obsessed with NBA basketball. (laughs) So like in a lot of ways, I'm kind of a bad nerd and like, I don't really collect any stuff. Like I do buy comics, but mostly I just read them. And then I, there's a little free library down the corner and I drop them off there. Like I'm not into, you know, not into collecting, not into toys. I don't play video games. I don't know anything about, you know, anime i mean there's there's just like huge gaps in my nerd knowledge i'm not really even that into like star trek or star wars but like i really really like nba basketball so um that's a silly example but like you get my point right yes, like absolutely. people people are very care- capable of being very complex and also holding like opposition seemingly oppositional things inside us so you know for john stewart um i looked at it as like it's it's great because you want characters, you want protagonists that are flawed. And the the trick is understanding what the conflict is inside the character. And so um you know, and I, I think Green Lantern Mosaic was a very uh flawed story and very um self indulgent, but it was also really cool in a lot of ways. And I think it was very knowingly self indulgent, but it did a great job of defining John Stewart as someone who is both a builder and a destroyer. And, um, and, and I mean, that was even, I, I think that that was all before 
military thing had been added to his his character because that came from the animated series. Um, but it was still there. And like, that's part of being an architect, right? Like to build the new, you have to destroy the old. Um, so, so John is this guy who is capable of being both a builder and a destroyer. And there's a, a dramatic tension between those two things, because that's, that's like any problem that you face, you know, you can solve one of two ways. And like, there might be some situation where building is the right answer. And there might be some situation where destroying is the right answer um and so i i don't know i mean i i looked at it as that divide actually makes him an easier character to write in a lot of ways um and and that's kind of my general approach to writing these characters especially ones that that already exist i think they all kind of you know they they all can be great or they all can be they all can be crummy, you know, given, given the right or wrong approach to them. So it's, it's just all about doing a lot of homework on the front end to kind of figure out what's going on inside them and what makes for the most compelling stories. I don't know that I answered your question at all. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. You I, did? I think you yeah, did. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Future's End. I liked what you did on Future's End. I liked the Indigo story. I liked all the Green Lantern Indigo, I mean, all the Green Lantern Futures End books. Now, when that was over with and all the one-shots were done, it seemed like certainly in the Green Lantern books, Futures End, there was seemed to be a concerted effort to bring some of those storylines into the regular books. Was that just... I was just curious, was that more DC... Did DC kind of, like, tell tell you guys to do that, or was that completely up to you to start laying, like, some of those, you know, bricks for Futures End in the regular books? Yeah, um... <laughs> Future's End was kind of a weird one where, you know, I, I think I think it didn't totally work as an event. And I think part of it was that it, it wasn't consistent editor to editor what uh, what was intended. And, and so I, I kind of set out, like, I'm going to do with it what I think works best for my book. So, you know, I can't really speak for anything else or for the line. I mean, really, the only directive I got was that it needs to take place five years in the future. So I kind of use it as like a parable of a future that we didn't want to see happen. Basically, like, create a future in which John goes down the wrong road to give Reed something to root against. Um, I had been thinking that, you know, we, by that point we had started working on Godhead, so we had some notion of what we were going to do with the Indigos. Um, so I always wanted it to be something where I could call back to it and, you know, use it to allude to storylines that were going to come up. Because, I, I mean, I think there's value in that uh, for readers to sort of, you know, foreshadow things. Um, wet the appetite a little bit uh, and make those make those issues seem as impactful as they should. Um, but at the same time, I didn't I didn't want to craft that issue as like this is 100% exactly what five years in the future is going to look like. It's more you know this is what five years in the future could look like, right. which maybe is a little bit of a of a cheat, but. Um, you know, it, it felt like the right way to handle it for me. 
I certainly think the story made sense. It made more sense certainly once you once Godhead came out. Like you said, you kind of had the you know you're thinking ahead of what their role was going to be, and having John Stewart's like animosities towards the Indigos and everything. Some of that made sense even more once you once you read uh, Godhead. Uh, some. I have one last question, and then we'll and then we'll let you talk about your new book because I know we're getting to the point. All right. Because we're kind of getting a little later than we planned. Uh, so re- related to the end of your run on Core and Convergence, like how much of how much of a like uh, how much notice did you get in advance about you know what was coming down the road as far as the Green Lantern Core book ending, and do you think you still had enough time to kind of wrap that book up in a somewhat satisfying way, considering? I mean, <laughs> uh, as, as, com- as much as you as as much as you feel comfortable <laughs> talking about it, clearly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's part of like part of the challenge of working for a company like DC is it's a lot of like, it's basically the biggest challenge is you make a plan for say two years and then, you know, it's. I guess the way the way I've heard it described is it's like you get told how you know you need to dig a hole and it's got to be a particular size and you get like you know the the hole mostly dug and then you're told that it actually needed to be much smaller and in a completely different location. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so there there are some challenges inherent there. Um, with with convergence, I mean, it was actually, and I've said this to DC, um, there was some frustration on my part because I mean, if they want to end a book, like it's fine, it's it's their stuff to end. But I I wasn't really getting clear information on what was going to happen, so I had you know like a five issue arc mapped out, and then all of a sudden it was like I was one issue into that, and you know. I had two more issues and then it was done and, and no clear, you know, no clear directive on like, is something else coming up next? Do I need to set something up? What, you know? So I, I just really, um, I mean, I, I would have liked to have had a lot more space. There were a, a few open threads, especially stuff involving some of the side characters that I really wanted to resolve or do different things with. Um, I had a lot of plans for some of the, like the villain characters that had been released from the science cells that then were deputized. Um, I mean, just across the board, there were a lot of things I had mapped out, bringing back fatality and kind of fully resolving what happened between her and John. Um, but you know, it's just, it is the gig and you do the best you can with what you have. So, I mean, I, I think that I was able to, satisfactorily conclude what I had been doing with John. And, you know, that was what I set out to do to begin with. So I, I feel happy about the run. You know, I think that there are some, some weak points in there. I think I certainly learned a lot on the job. Um, but, you know, on the whole, I think, especially for fans of John Stewart, it's something that hopefully people will remember and continue to enjoy. Yeah, it was definitely enjoyable. Like I, I particularly, uh, you know, I was just, you know, after Jeff left, I felt um, a sort of void there. You know, just kind of, you know, how long do you give new creative teams a chance to establish themselves before you start judging the work on its own merits versus what you're 
yourself putting it putting onto it. But there were moments during your run where I was just like, oh wow, like when you brought up the the whole corpse thing, right? Yeah, I was like, hold up, that that's a callback from way back when. Like that's I was really I was really pleased to see things like that. So when you were telling the story earlier of just grabbing a giant stack of Green Lantern Corps comics, you must have grabbed some of the right ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. So this is this is a true story. Um, when I when I first got hired, I was like, I want to read everything. So, you know, I talked to the editors. I was like, can you guys give me, like, I don't care if it's PDFs or whatever, but, like, everything. And they're like, well, what do you mean everything? I meant every Green Lantern comic. And they were just like, well, you don't need to do that. I said, well, I want to do it because I think it'll make the stories better. So they were like, we'll just pirate them. Nice. <laughs> so, they are like, that's the easiest thing. So... I had this buddy who, uh, this dude named Durf, who, uh, he had just gotten back from China and he's a really big Green Lantern fan. And, uh, and, and just like, I'm bringing you guys way inside here. This is some inside stuff. So, <laughs> so Durf, we're fine with this. Yeah. Right. So, so while Durf had been over in China, he hadn't been able to legally buy comics, but he, downloaded illegally every basically like every comic that had ever existed and he since then like yeah now that he's back in the states like he buys tons of comics and he you know monetarily supports creators so it, it was it was just like he wanted to read this stuff and had no option to get it so he uh he just came like we met up for lunch one day and he just gives me this this portable hard drive full of like every comic that DC has ever published. <laughs> so, so I read, you know, it wasn't in the stack that I bought originally cause I just bought the recent green lantern Corps run, but I actually read damn near every green lantern comic ever published. So, you know, was, I just felt like that's the way to go about it because, you know, readers like you, I mean, that's the stuff that resonates and it, it, it all feels like one big world that is consistent, that's yeah. interconnected and that, you know, impacts continue to, to ripple down. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad it resonated. I mean, it was something that I, I felt like that was a really cool story when those guys did it. And, you know, it just, it made sense to bring it back. Yeah. I, I, I will, I will say that that was, uh, that was quite phenomenal. I, one of the things I've been saying for a long time is that the, DC offices need to take the whole thing that they did with Denny O'Neill way back when and have a Bible, like, of what these characters are, what they can do, what their limits are, blah, blah, blah. Because there, every now and then there, there are times when we get storylines where Mark and I, Mark or I are reading it and we go, wait, what? How can the ring even, that, that's, that doesn't track with, you know, A, B, C, D. I mean, it's always nice to have new abilities that work, you know, that make sense within the confines of what you already know. But something that's just completely out of left field. <laughs> like, you're just like, wait. So we, we really do appreciate when writers take the time and read what's come before so that they know. You know, there, there may not, DC may not have a Green Lantern Bible that they make, you know, writers like yourself operate on. But at least when you take the time personally to go back and read it, you have one already kind of in your mind. So that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I gave it my best shot. I'll say that about it. <laughs> well, you, you did a great job. I think even we were, when we were 
in the middle of your run, one of the things Chad and I always picked up on was the fact that you certainly were making a, like you mentioned, you were making a concerted effort to bring back elements and characters that either hadn't been touched upon for eons, or even characters that hadn't been necessarily eons, but they, but it could might as well have been because they were just pushed completely to the back burner, like Sodom Yacht. I mean, characters that had, were so they were really relevant, and they were just like kind of pushed off, and no one ever just could figure out how to bring them back. So I, th- mm-hmm. so I think you were very, you were very successful on that. Well, I appreciate it. Very welcome. And now I know since we've kept you longer than we wanted to, and we apologize for that. Tell us all you would like to tell us about your new book, Cryptocracy. Yeah, so um, so this is my first creator-owned book since Pinocchio Vampire Slayer. It's uh, coming out from Dark Horse. It's um, in the current previews catalog, uh, so it's actually up for order now. So if anyone is interested, they can go to their comic shop and, uh, and ask for for it to be added to the old poll list. Um, but yeah, so it's called cryptocracy and it's basically, if you can imagine the X files was told from the perspective of the smoking man, that's kind of the gist of it. Um, there is a super secret shadowy organization that controls everything. And instead of being the villain, they're actually almost the heroes of the story. So we see who exactly they are, why they do what they do, kind of what they've been doing in the shadows and sort of the truth behind all these different conspiracies. And then for the first time ever, someone knows who they are and has started hunting them. So it's an ongoing series. Uh, it's a big kind of sci-fi uh, adventure that you know just brings in all these different conspiracies. Um there, there are going to be a bunch of previews starting to come up online really soon. Um, the artist is Pete Woods, who we actually worked together on the Godhead one shot. Nice. And Pete, Pete's phenomenal. He's done like Deadpool, Action Comics, um, doing just amazing, amazing work. This is actually his first creator-owned book. Uh, but yeah, so the first issue is out June 29th. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you wanted to give a look, it uh, is. I think it'll be starting to be previewed and reviewed and all that stuff very soon. Awesome. Very nice. I know I added it to my pull list today. Oh, thank you. You're very thank welcome. You. <laughs> awesome. Well, we really, really, really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to speak with us. I know. Uh, I know you're a busy guy. Uh, you got a lot of stuff going on, but, uh, you know, it, we and, of course, the people listening to the show really appreciate that you took the time and uh, and spoke with us about all this. No, it was, it was my pleasure, guys. And you're, always, sure. and you're always welcome to come back. For sure, for sure. All right, guys, and that was Van Jensen. What do you think about that? That was really good. Yeah, that was, was really good. I do feel bad that we kept him a little longer than planned, but but he was, but his answers were so good, and he was being so honest that it's like, yeah, of course, of course, it's like you just want to keep asking him more stuff. For sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, Van had only just like a, a few moments to talk about some things. We we had a, a set time limit about fifteen twenty minutes. We we can't keep these guys on forever, guys. <laughs> so. He he went above and beyond. So that's what we were able to uh, talk about in that time period. Hope you guys really enjoyed it. I really, I, I mean, it seems like every interview we have, you know, just the way we structure the questions, you know, their 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 answers like just <laughs> it's like a softball. So <laughs> they just lob it towards us so we can just ask the follow up. It just goes smoothly one into the next. Yeah, sometimes sometimes the transition is easy, like. You know, we I think Chad and I had a pretty good game plan for where we wanted to kind of go with this, but 
we didn't have to really like struggle. Sometimes you kind of struggle for a follow up or to try to segue into another area, but it didn't really. But Van made it real easy because he kind of like you know the John Stewart stuff. He just kind of like that was right when we were about to get into that, kind of opened the door right for it. So, so yeah, it was it was really good, and, and I think I. I was I thought thought they were really good insights, especially about the uh when he first went on to the book and about the whole John Stewart were they gonna kill him off, were they not gonna kill him off thing. Right. Which is good and I think it's I think it's pretty cool and I think and not just because it kinda echoes what I kind of always believed anyway, that it wasn't a you know, a master plan to you know, that they being forced down somebody's throat. Just Yeah, it it didn't it didn't sound like D C had this I mean, Van gave us diplomatic answers. You right. know, guys, you don't don't expect like scandal on 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 any interview you hear because oh, of it's, not. It, nobody nobody wants to be put out of work. <laughs> so, but he still was, but he was he still lifted the curtain a lot though. Consider exactly they were they were diplomatic, but they were also revealing. For so just based on what he said, it's and, and, and now he didn't actually say this, but just you know, kind of. The impression. The impression was that I got was that DC probably had that in their pocket, and that was probably, and probably maybe I'll just say maybe instead of probably was maybe the most interesting story they had on the on the on deck at the time. And then Fialkov left, so that's what they were pushing. And then Fialkov left, and Van Jensen comes on with something else. Now by this time. Fan feedback is such that DC probably goes, well, wait, maybe we shouldn't do this. But it doesn't sound like DC was all, we're killing Jon Stewart, you do this or you're off. That, 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 right. That's not the impression that I got. Yeah, and, that, and like and you and I have talked about this before, that whole, I hate to say it because, again, we've never had him on to ask him his side of the story either, but the whole you know Fialkov or Fialkov's camp spin on it, which seemingly was yes, you know, that – he took the book based on one premise or one game plan. Then DC came in and said, "No, we want you to kill John Stewart." And he said, "No, I'm not going to do that." And then he left the book. Something about that to me, and again, I could be wrong. So, but something about that to me never resonated because if DC was so willing to let that writer go because he wouldn't kill kill John Stewart, then why would they not make the next writer before he even took the book make it clear to him you have to kill John Stewart? <laughs> If you want right. the book, you got to kill John Stewart, as opposed to exactly what Van talked about, which is basically the retooling or deciding the entire core book. The next, the first two years are more or less going to be about John Stewart. So something about that never made sense to me because it's it it. I'm so I I think that was again like you said he was being diplomatic, but again just the information that we we did get even without reading into it too much. I think I think that that lifted the veil a lot, and I think that was that was pretty cool, which is why we wanted to ask ask that question. Exactly, and the the only mistakes that were in there, uh, uh, and because Mark had mentioned, you know, any any sort of mistakes in questioning or anything like that, the only mistakes that were in there were audio. You guys probably heard it. There was a little bit of a kind of cut in and out of both audio and audio quality. So. Apologies there, but just based on our general interview, what we just what we experienced, the the audio problems that you heard, we do apologize about that. That's just something that Skype likes to do sometimes when we're on these, you know, more than more than two person calls. If anything else is running in the background on anybody's computer, Skype likes to do that. Uh, Skype likes to just do it. <laughs> um, but I, I I felt like his answers were still intelligible. Yeah, yeah I would say most. I would. So I just want. I just want to apologize for any audio quality drop. Uh, but you guys should still be able to hear the the general interview. Yeah, overall, I think it's still. I think the majority of the interview was still high qual, good quality audio, and there were a few moments maybe like 
you know, maybe a couple of minutes combined, not necessarily all at one time, but a couple of minutes where it, where it kind of dropped out here and there. But it more or less dropped out, to me anyway, and on my end, it dropped out for like, you know, maybe like five or six seconds at a time, not like big blocks. Correct. So Correct. I think, so I think, so I think we should be good. And hopefully, you know, hopefully it's going to, you know, hopefully we're good because it was a really good interview. For sure. And I can, I can edit some of this stuff, but when, when audio quality dips out, there's not a lot I can do guys. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that. That was a lot of fun. I especially liked that, you know, I, I was being sneaky <laughs> kind of by like, I had questions about the corpse and stuff like that, but I just kind of added it to my general conversation to get him to talk <laughs> about it. Uh, <laughs> so apologies if you're listening to this on the back end van. Uh, but, uh, you know, you're a journalist, you know, you got to sneak some of this in. Uh, every now and then, <laughs> and, and, and even though it didn't seem it at the time, we were really, we really were trying to completely re- respect the time frame originally sure. for the interview. So there sure. were a lot of questions. Both I, Chad, I mean, Chad and I had ba- there were a few changes, but he and I both had very similar you know, uh, trains of thought of where to go with this. So we both had to streamline a little bit and save some questions, which are good anyway, because if if we're lucky enough to get him back, then there's we have a bunch of questions to ask him the next time too. <laughs> for sure. All right, guys, that's all we got for you this time. Hope you enjoyed it. It's a slightly shorter episode than usual. Uh, but if you want to contact us, Mark, how do they do so? You can contact us, lanterncast at gmail.com, lanterncast at gmail.com. Visit our website, lanterncast.com. You can access our, our new episodes, our Ringcyclopedia episodes, our latest ones are posted there, Dark Star reviews, blogs putting good stuff up. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate to locate us on any of those. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, and if you like us on either platform or both, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail about this episode, any episodes that we've done, what you'd like to hear coming up, 708 Lantern, 708 Lantern. And let us know what you think. All right, guys. Next episode, current issue reviews. And please, 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 please head over to Facebook and Twitter. See what we're posting there. We are asking for your feedback on certain storylines in the Green Lantern history and mythos. These are uh, coming up in the near-ish future for the Lantern cast. And we would like to get your feedback in advance. So Facebook and Twitter to see what those storylines are. And email us those responses at lanterncast at gmail.com. So next episode, furnish your reviews. Then we got uh, something short but sweet. Something awesome. <laughs> uh, Planned plan for 249 and 250 Well, you will just have to see. It's a big one. That's right. That's what she said. All right. <laughs> Sorry. That part I've been, you can edit out. <laughs> I, I, I've been marathoning The Office a lot lately because I never I missed out on that show. But anyways, uh, so all right, guys, we'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.